0: journal presents
1: It's surprising the the amount of I'll say negative energy around Dei because for some reason there's this thought that it's a political initiative and I think in today's society where depending on what side, right or or left you're on, um, it can be interpreted in such a way that people, you know, they take it the wrong way. When we look at what diversity, equity, inclusion means, I think that a lot of people would agree that those are certainly values and, and things that we want to work towards.
0: On this episode of the Ashray Journal Podcast, Devin Avalon, Dunstan McCauley, and Carrie amon Write down and define the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, and how engineering can become more inclusive.
1: So my name is Devin Abalon. I serve on the Board of Directors as the Director and Regional Chair for Region 10, and I also serve on the Board of Directors DEI Advisory Subcommittee.
2: Hi, my name is Carrie Ann Montplaisir, and I am the Region 3 Young Engineers in ASHRAE RVC.
3: Hi, I'm Dunstan McCauley. I serve on the ASHRAE Board of Directors as a society vice president, and I'm with the National Capital Chapter. I'm also on the board DEI subcommittee as well. What is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: So, you know, I think diversity, most people have a good understanding of what diversity is. It's about having a group of individuals with different social, ethnic backgrounds, different genders, sexual orientations. It's about not having kind of a group of where everyone's the same. And I think there's a great value in having diversity in any organization because you get to have different perspectives, people with different backgrounds, experiences, and it creates a more more creative uh, environment.
3: And equity is a fair and just treatment um, of all members of the community. Equity is about promoting justice, impartiality, fairness within our procedures, our policies, and our processes and distribution of resources. So equity is the goal that we strive to get to, both in our professional and in our ASHRAE lives as well. We want to make sure we have an equitable distribution of all the resources and a good distribution of and equity is also a good distribution of our strategic priorities as it relates to ethnicity, gender, age, physical appearance, thought styles, religion, nationality, socioeconomic status, belief systems, sexual orientation, and education.
1: You know, I think you know a lot of times people when we're talking about diversity and equity. Um, they kind of see them as the same thing, and and in my mind, I also you know it's a great description, Dunsen. I also think about it in terms of making sure that everyone has equal opportunities. That everyone you know, with different backgrounds, they still have the same opportunities to to uh, to succeed in any area.
2: And I think that's where the inclusion can also tie in. So inclusion is the practice or policy of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise. Be excluded or marginalized, such as those who have physical or mental disabilities and members of other minority groups. And uh, I've always liked this metaphor. I've heard it from quite a few sources that diversity means being invited to the party, but inclusion is being invited to dance.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great metaphor. And I think so. We've talked about kind of what DEI is, and we've gotten different definitions of DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think, you know, when we start having the conversation, it's important to understand what it isn't. And we've had, you know, I'll say, you know, from our Region 10 perspective, I hear from different chapter members, different leaders, and and it's surprising the the amount of kind of I'll say negative energy around DEI because for some reason there's this thought that it's a political initiative. And I think in today's society where, you know, depending on what side <laughs> right or right or or left you're on, Um, it can be interpreted in such a way that people, you know, they take it the wrong way, unfortunately. And I think when we look at what diversity, equity, inclusion means, you know, as we had just described, I think that a lot of people would agree that those are certainly values and and things that we want to work towards. But because there's sort of this political stigma attached to it, people immediately push back against it.
2: And I want to add a lot of the times I think People feel attacked, like oh, uh, you know, we're being called out for doing something that we're doing maliciously or intently. It's that's not the point. It's you know, you could be doing something based on these unconscious biases that we're all unaware of, and DEI is trying to just spread awareness, and so that we can all just rethink about how we're interacting with other people. And um, you know, we're all guilty of it. We all just have things that we don't understand because we haven't had those experiences or know anyone close to that. So if we just are all a little bit more aware, we take some time to educate ourselves, we can create a more inclusive world.
3: And another misconception, a lot of people think diversity or DEI is a quota system where you're trying to get equal representation from all the various groups. And diversity is actually the opposite of a quarter system. By creating a diverse environment, a diverse community, you don't have to meet quotas because that is now infused throughout your organization. And therefore you will then have a diverse board or a diverse committee or diverse structure because you've practiced these principles and use that in your recruiting processes to make sure that you are inclusive of all the various communities within your organization.
1: And I think one of the challenges in that uh, Dunstan is that, you know, there can be, whether it be an organization, whether it be a professional society like ASHRAE, this thought process that, you know, we don't need that. You know, that's, we're, we're not racist. You know, we're not, we're not intentionally discriminating. We're of the mindset that, you know, we'll treat everyone equally regardless. So we don't need to have this sort of initiative because we're, we're not like that. I think the reality is, and something I've certainly learned over the past several years as I've gotten more involved in in DEI uh, through ASHRAE and through work is that You know, there are things like conscious and unconscious biases that we have that we don't realize that we are actually
3: guilty of some of the things that we claim that we're, you know, free from. And unconscious biases, you know, it's natural. We all have those. And part of the DEI initiative is not changing our thought processes, but making us aware of these unconscious biases so that as we interact with, other members of our community or other members of the organization, we're aware of what our thought processes are and we know how to make sure that we're being fair and we're being inclusive in how we operate within our systems. For me, you know, when you look at a lot of the studies out there that sh- have shown that when you are inclusive of a community with a right of backgrounds, Generally, you have more perspectives that you're bringing to shape your decision-making and influence how you interact in your organization. And for me, that's one of the most important reasons for our DEI initiative is to make us more inclusive, to, to make sure that we're addressing issues on a holistic basis and, and coming out with the best policies. Diversity and, and DI also is not only important from, from how we interact with individuals, but um, when you start to look at making sure that as we move towards a more energy-efficient economy and you start to look at some of the goals in the Paris Climate Change Agreement and we're going to decarbonization— We're making sure that disadvantaged communities are not being left behind. And you start to look at energy equity and making sure that we are being inclusive of all communities as we migrate to more efficient technology.
1: Yeah, that's great. When I think of DEI, why DEI is important to me, I think of, you know, from personal experience, I think I've been able to see kind of both sides of the spectrum. I grew up um, in Southern California. Um, I'm asian american and and saw bits of racism, not not only towards myself and my brothers, but to my to my family. So I, I get that, you know, you get that sense, this feeling that you're made to feel uh, inferior, um just going up through school. and and so that's something that I struggled with um as I was growing up. And then I went to off to college. and now i I was in a setting where now Asian American males in an engineering program are uh, not the minority. Uh, actually, not at all, and so I saw it was kind of flipped on me, and I could see how other people, you know, the, the females within our our class, how they were treated, and so I've seen kind of both sides of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, as I, you know, as I was working as a consulting engineer, I, I kind of put that in the back of my head, and, and you know, again, how take you take on this mindset that it's not an issue, it's not something we need to worry about because we're all like minded individuals who don't actively, we don't. N- intentionally choose to, to discriminate or act a certain way, but it does come back to those conscious and unconscious biases. And I, and when I was uh, involved in the uh, membership promotion program, Dunson will remember this, Dunson came into our, our committee meeting um, with the Women in ASHRAE initiative. And um, it was something that was done by an ad hoc, some fantastic work that was done years ago by an ad hoc. And they brought it to our committee, and, and I was surprised that the committee, you know, membership promotion, trying to promote membership within ASHRAE, um, there was a lot of pushback on that. And some of that pushback, you know, came from some of the, the males, some of the females. And, and you sort of get this idea that, you know, that there are a lot of very successful females in our industry who felt like, you know, I kind of put in the time. I did the work to, to prove myself as an engineer within this industry. We don't need this because we've worked so hard to show that we are part of the, the group. And now with women in Ashray, we're kind of getting separated back into a separate entity. And they sort of wear that as a badge of honor that, hey, this is something that I was able to persevere through. Why does anyone have to persevere? Why does anyone have to be faced with additional challenges on top of what we already have to deal with? So that, it's become personal for me as well. And just being involved both with mecha- uh, with uh, membership promotion and now with with the board, um, it's enabled me to also learn more about myself and some of the unconscious biases that I have and made me more aware so that as I interact, I do my best to, you know, say and do the
3: right things. One of my challenges, like when I first, my first ASHRAE meeting, I went to a technical committee and came in and I was very enthusiastic, you know, I've gotten a lot from Ashray, from a lot of the technical information. And like a lot of people, you know, you join because of the educational um, information you can get. And I wanted to give back. So I walked into a technical committee and I was very enthusiastic and I volunteered to help. And everyone looked at me kind of strange and it's like, okay. they took my contact information. We'll get in contact with you. And nothing for months. Didn't hear anything back. Didn't receive the minutes. No one contacted me. And, you know, I was a little bit disappointed and I stayed away for a few years because it's like I'm trying to help. I'm trying to volunteer and no one is receptive to me offering to help. But it was something that I, w- I felt strongly about. I wanted to give back to my community. So I came back to another meeting. And I continue to come back and volunteer until finally I was able to make a breakthrough. And that has led to me being involved, um, not only serving on technical committees, but serving on standing committees, working my way up to the board of directors. And, you know, I thought I had a unique story. But over the years, I've spoken to several people who have had similar experience. And the question is, how many good volunteers are being lost? because some committees are not as inclusive and not open to welcoming new members.
2: Exactly, I mean, if we can just look at how much you've contributed to our organization and how easy it would have been for you to just say, no, let me you know find somewhere else to put all of my time and energy, we would have lost so much important work just from you alone. So I just, hearing that story, it just really resonates with me because with my experiences as a woman, it's slightly different, but also I know a lot of women who just stop um, giving their time. They won't come out to chapter events because we don't have that inclusive environment. And as an organization that's constantly asking for help, we're really good at uh, pushing it away.
1: Yeah. And we've had discussions even, you know, at this conference in terms of how to make sure that um, some of the committees we have are welcoming or inclusive because it's, Not every committee, but at the same time, there there are a number of situations where, you know, we just talked about diversity in terms of, you know, socioeconomic, gender, sexual orientation, religion. But there's also, you know, discrimination that happens because a younger engineer walks into a room, someone who is perceived as being less experienced, someone's perceived as being not someone who can contribute to, say, a technical committee. And they're immediately marginalized and not given that opportunity to contribute. And so I think that's there's some work that we need to do to make sure that, that all of our committees, not just TCs, but all of our committees in general are welcoming. I think sometimes, you know, we've been to enough conferences, we build relationships, we kind of form these tight groups. And that's great. There's one aspect that it's great that we've got these tight groups who work well together, but at the same time, it can be challenging and intimidating for someone new to walk into that room and not feel like they're part of that tight group.
3: That's something that um, we have to be conscious of um, as we interact because same thing, my first ASHRAE meeting, I walked in and you saw everyone interacting with each other because they have formed these bonds. And it was somewhat intimidating at first, but slowly as you get to meet people, you become part of those bonds and that interaction as well. But engineers overall are introverts. So there are a lot of people who are probably seeing that interaction and saying, I'm not going to be able to fit in sure. and are staying away. And I think that's something that we all as members of Ashray, should be thinking about as we see new people being open to them, having an outreach to new members who are attending our meetings to make sure that they're feeling welcome so that we can retain their services and retain their participation in the organization. So, you know, when I think of Ashra, I
1: think one of the, the, the great things is that we are a volunteer organization. A volunteer organization comprised of volunteer members all working, giving of the, their expertise and their time to make our industry better. That's one thing we all agree on. We're all working to make our industry better. And, you know, you said it yourself, Karen, in terms of, you know, we want, we need volunteers. We want volunteers and we want volunteers who can bring different perspectives, different ways to solve problems, different, who bring their different experiences. And so we want to make sure that we're able to create and maintain an environment where people always feel welcome.
2: For me, DEI is so important. It's something I never even realized how integral it was in my career until I, heard the definition, um, this whole push about DEI would have resolved a lot of issues that I've dealt with. In particular, I found out a couple of years ago about this imposter syndrome, and it kind of explained something that I never could name. I kept feeling like I was inadequate, and I kept feeling like I was just a failure in classes. Uh, I kept feeling like I wasn't qualified as an engineer even after I'd gotten my degree. And then just recently, I started reflecting on that. And my family told me I was going to fail out of engineering before I even started. When I got to college, people would like their jaw would drop when they found out my major and they would be like, wow, you don't look like an engineer. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but thanks. <laughs> um, and then when I finally started working, I had to literally like list my qualifications, which is something my male colleagues never had to do. I mean, I had a client who called my project manager and was like, who is this Carrie Ann? I need to meet her. And so we had this whole conversation. We brought in the vice principal who oversaw the whole team and then my project manager and then my male coworker who he normally dealt with. And he had never done this with anyone else. And it was like a really simple project to us. And um, he was like, you know, what have you worked on? What's your experience? What's your qualifications? (laughs) And I pretty much laid it out that, you know, I have been doing really intense work, like very focused on a specific um, niche of design. And I wanted to do more cookie cutter stuff so that I could learn the basics. And I was like, I'm actually overqualified. Thanks. Uh, and it kind of shut him up right away. But it's the fact that I even had to do that. And then I saw an article that said, we need to stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome because this is putting the responsibility on women when the responsibility is on the system, the system that is acting on us. And it's, you know, everyone with these unconscious biases that are doing that not even knowing, but it's also just the framework and we just need to keep doing what we can to improve that and break that barrier down. And then it also for me, like multiple experiences that I can point out that my male colleagues or friends have never experienced. I got married and six weeks later lost my dad and we had just moved to a new state. And so I was taking some time before trying to find a job there. I finally went to the Ashray chapter meeting when I thought I was ready to start networking. And an older gentleman, he's retired, found out that I had just gotten married. And first question, when are you going to have kids? Of course, right? <laughs> and I, you know, jokingly was like, oh, I've got some mountains to climb, you know, oceans to scuba dive. I've got, you know, I'm taking my time. It'll be later. He's like, well, you know, you never know. Like, you'll, you'll probably want them. Like, you, you just don't know what you want. And I was like, I'm, well, I'm pretty positive. <laughs> and then It was not even over at that point. It just kept going. He kept asking the question. He kept following me around the room as I was trying to network and like meet people and talk professionally. And he just kept asking and kept pushing, when am I going to have kids? And kept telling me that I wanted to have kids. And I was like, listen, I'm at a networking event. I don't want to bring up that my dad just died and I am just not ready. And I just got married. And like that's just not even on the table. And why should I have to explain this? And I have friends that have had reproductive issues they you know not everyone can get pregnant and so let's just stop asking this question you have no idea what someone is going through and that can be relatable to plenty of other experiences that you know we just push we ask the questions without even realizing it you know if you see a woman you automatically ask like oh are you married you know going to have kids like let's just stop right there let's stop jumping to conclusions there's plenty of other things to talk about And ask more open-ended questions and let us be the ones to fill that in. And we can share as much as we want to. We don't owe you anything. Um, And then there's also been, you know, meetings that I'm in where women will say something. It gets ignored. Another woman would repeat it. And again, ignored. For 20 minutes, we're having this conversation. Women are trying to give each other credit and trying to repeat it. And then finally, a male repeats it. And that's the best idea we've had all day. And we can finally move on. It's just been so demotivating as a volunteer when your voice isn't getting heard, when you want to put in all this time and effort and it's just falling flat and you think, well, just like Dunstan, you know, I I could probably be giving my time elsewhere. And why is this worth it? So I think as an organization, we just need to all work to let all voices be heard and not just get them in the room, but actually listen.
3: And you make some very good points. and I think the unconscious biases are one of the biggest challenges that we have that we have to try and work towards and try and eliminate because, you know, a lot of people may be well-intentioned, but they're not thinking about what they're saying and what that impact is on the, 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 the person that they're interacting with. And we really have to bring that home because we have to start thinking about how Are my words impacting someone else? And that's critical because that's the only way to make sure that we're promoting more diversity, promoting more inclusiveness.
1: You know, it reminds me of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. You know, you you think about this idea that you can make snap decisions, that unconsciously you can look at a situation or a person and immediately make decisions that, you know, you're you're kind of trusting your gut, you're, you're trusting your instinct, and that most of the time you're right. But it also, you know, you go on to to read that book. It it also talks about how you're not always right, and that you have to actually train yourself to take in that information, all of the inputs that you're getting subconsciously, and assess them, and then think it through. And so, Dunson, you know, when you're you're talking about how we need to think about what we're saying, it's not about just acknowledging that we have unconscious biases, but it's making a concerted effort to check yourself and. Everything that you do, make sure that you, you know, go through it in your head and, and think through how you've assessed the situation and, and uh, how to respond.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we'd be better off if before interactions, just take a couple seconds and think about what we're about to say, mm-hmm. and then you know, if you're talking to someone who doesn't look like you or doesn't have the same shared experiences, think: Would I ask the same person that looks like me? Or Like if I'm talking to a female, would I ask a male the same question? Or if I'm looking at someone who has a different ethnicity, would I be asking the same question to someone who's my same ethnicity? And it's only through that if we stop and reflect before we actually just blurt things out. I think we would be able to reduce a lot of those microaggressions and then also if we do misspeak and we do make mistakes and slip up and you know we don't get the right response and we realize we've offended someone let's identify that and speak out and say hey I'm sorry I you know I'm still learning I'm still working on this and I think we could get a lot further if we all just pointed that out and and started apologizing in the moment or even later on and following up and say hey you know I'd like to do better I'm working on it.
3: Good points and the key is Pretty much embracing the fact that we all have different experiences and realizing that we have these different experiences and as opposed to making assumptions that somebody else's experience is similar to mine, ask more questions to understand what is this person's perspective and how does it differ from mine. And then you can now have a conversation on the differences as opposed to just making some assumptions that their experience are very similar to mine and we have exactly the same belief system.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ashray Journal Podcast. We want your ideas. What topics do you want to hear about and who do you want to hear it from? Email us your ideas at podcast at ashray.org. That is podcast at A-S-H-R-A-E dot org. Let's get back to the episode.
3: You know, one of our challenges in our industry is what are some of our metrics for how we're doing, not only as ASHRAE, but the HVAC in our industry in terms of making sure that we are inclusive, um, diverse and have equitable distribution of jobs and so forth. And I think one of the things we need to start to do is, you know, start to track the metrics because, you know, a lot of companies are now starting to set DEI targets and how are they going to achieve that? You know, one of the things we have to start to look at is we have to look at the metrics that are coming out of college to supply the industry so that we know if we can meet those numbers and meet those targets, you know, I know you earlier, you had mentioned the Women in ASHRAE initiative, which essentially led to our DEI policy that we have now. And one of the things we couldn't figure out was what percentage of ASHRAE members are women. We don't have those metrics and what percentage of the industry, how many women do we retain in the industry after five years, after 10 years? There are some good metrics, especially in the United States, about college graduation. You start to, you start to see numbers around 30 percent of um, college graduates and mechanical engineer are women, as well as you start to look at other ethnic groups. You know, Blacks and Hispanics are somewhere in the 25 to 35 percent range. Uh, Asian Americans are in that 30 percent range as well, 30 to 40 percent. But what are those metrics for the companies? In our industry, we don't know how many of those individuals are retaining in the industry. We have no idea. And I think that's critical as we embark on some of our DEI initiatives to start to track some of those numbers. So we know how we're doing as an industry. And companies who are in the industry can now have measurable data to track their performance.
1: I definitely agree. I mean, it's important to have metrics and understand the metrics because. It'll help a company or an organization see basically how they are. I think the challenge in that is when you have you know hard numbers, when you have metrics, and you may have the insight that oh, this number is too low; we need it to be higher. Then you start getting to this thing where people feel like it is a quota system. And we talked earlier about how it's not a quota system. We're not aiming for a number. We don't want you know a certain percentage in this demographic, a certain another, but we want an environment where. There is a balance, yeah, so it's 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 kind of hard to to have that when we're we're kind of striving for a balance for it to happen organically to happen happen naturally, but if it's not happening, then are we almost putting ourselves in this quota type system where we're forcing we're driving towards a particular number so that's just I know that kind of playing devil's advocate. That's some of the pushback that we're getting from some of our members.
2: And that's how you can also sometimes fall into that trap of, oh, we're diverse, but you don't have the inclusive environment. So are you actually retaining that diversity or do you have a lot of turnover as far as that's concerned? And I've seen that in several companies where, you know, they look diverse on the outside, but then you really dial down into it. And a lot of those people are not happy and they do find work elsewhere.
3: And I think that's one of the reasons why our industry on face value, don't mimic the numbers of individuals coming out of college because you have a lot of individuals who will come into the industry, work for a few years, and because of the lack of equity and inclusiveness, will tend to go into other industries where they're finding a lot more success and a lot more support for them in other industries. And it's, yes, it's, we don't want it to become a quarter system, but it's, it's somehow we have to start to address how do we retain individuals in our industry that have diverse backgrounds?
2: Well, and I have the data for women. Over 32% of women switch out of STEM degree programs in college. And then only 30% of women who've earned bachelor's degrees in engineering remain in the industry 20 years later. And 30% of the women who have left the engineering profession cite organizational climate as the reason. And I'm sure it's higher than that. Um, And I've experienced a lot of it myself. So I think that's just, it stares you right at the face. Like we clearly have a problem when it comes to women. And I know we also have a problem when it comes to other backgrounds, when we're talking about diversity and uh, it's, it's a really big issue. And so it's just hard for me to understand why people can say we don't have an issue. And, you know, this isn't important because it's, it's, it is very clear um, in the numbers, just a study that came out of the Society of Women Engineers.
1: Okay. So we talked about, you know, a lot of things that we can be doing within our organizations within ASHRAE in terms of changing mindset so that we can help to ensure a more inclusive environment, a more welcoming environment. But what else can ASHRAE be doing? And maybe outside of what we typically think of when it comes to operating committees and and working at the grassroots level, what are other areas where perhaps ASHRAE can be a leader in our industry for diversity, equity, and inclusion?
3: I think a good opportunity is energy equity. Um, I think that's a great opportunity, not only for us to show leadership in, in making sure that we're bringing all communities along in this energy transformation, but also it's an opportunity for us as engineers to give back. I think you start to look at our chapters and how diverse our chapters are. Not all our members are interested in, you know, attending all the chapter meetings and so forth. Our members are looking for other activities to fulfill themselves. And by giving back, you know, we start to attract a different subset of members. I still remember presidential member Tom Watson created the Community Sustainability Project, and that was greatly influenced by a program in Carrie Ann's chapter the Energy for Kids program, where it was an opportunity for ASHRAE members to give back to uh, disadvantaged communities. And that also led to the sustainability project that was funded at the winter and annual conference. Through some austerity measures, some of the funding got cut for that program. But that's a great opportunity, especially as we start to look at climate change and to start to give back to disenfranchised community to make sure that they're not being left behind with inefficient technologies. Look at opportunities to go into homes and do some weatherization, ways to improve the efficiency of the systems of the homes. Look at opportunities to, to just bring them along in the new energy economy. You know, I think that's a great opportunity for ASHRAE where our members can be leaders in building a sustainable world. So Dunson, you brought
1: up some different examples of outreach projects that ASHRAE members can be involved in, and you talked about energy equity. And I think that term energy equity, I know for myself up until recently, I didn't really know, you know, what does that mean? If you can just help us better understand that
3: is making sure that there's equitable access to energy-efficient technologies and resources for all communities. When you look at a lot of disadvantaged and disenfranchised communities, they tend to not have the financial means to upgrade to the higher energy-efficient systems. And they're also left with more technologies that have higher pollution have a higher impact on climate change. So it's making sure that as we start to transition our systems and put in more efficient systems that we're not leaving behind a sector of our community. We're bringing them along. We're making sure that they're equipped with current technology so that they are benefiting from the higher efficiency systems, lowering their energy bills, and then that's also leading to more financial resources that they have to apply to other needs that they may have as well. And if you look at Ashray members, we are generally a little bit more fortunate and uh, can give back a little bit more. And that's a huge opportunity for us as a community, as a society, to help individuals who are not as successful as we are. So just to, again, to play devil's advocate, you know, we've got
1: ASHRAE members who are designing projects, who are designing systems, uh, working for building owners and things like that. And, and, you know, we're talking about making a very intentional effort to help provide this equity to less fortunate communities um, on projects that we may not choose the projects that we work on, you know, whether or not a particular project gets energy efficient systems that may be dictated by the building owner in such a way that it's not equitable. Yeah. So I guess, you know, from Ashray's perspective, what can we do in terms of being better about about helping out? And and is it kind of volunteering? Is it working through building owners to raise a level of awareness
3: in terms of the impacts of this inequity? Yes. Yes, I think it's all of that. And for example, the Hampton Roads chapter with the Energy for Kids program have used Ashray not only Ashray volunteers, but Ashray programs. They've done energy audits for um, community centers. They've upgraded their HVAC systems. They've provided PV systems. They've done, I believe, also solar thermal as well. So they've looked at different technologies based on what are the needs of the facility and found opportunities to install or provide higher efficiency technologies so that they improve the building operation and, you know, working both with the building owners and the, the facility as well, the center to implement technologies to help the efficiency.
2: And typically with that, because of the line of work that it is, uh, we've gotten some support from manufacturers to have a discounted rate on the equipment that's being installed And of course, the volunteers are the ones that are dedicating their time to the engineering project itself. Um, So it's just a lot of volunteering and trying to make it the most effective as possible.
3: And I believe also, you know, it it can range from anything from design services to having contractors volunteering their time, manufacturers volunteering equipment and so forth. So it runs the gamut of everyone who's in our industry.
1: So what would you say are some, some maybe best practices or ideas that chapters at the grassroots level, you know, what are things that, that they can do? You talked about some of the programs, but where would a chapter go to find these types of opportunities?
3: They will have to look in their local communities. I would say a good place to start is some of the communities, like, for example, I know Hampton Roads work with the local YMCA. There's been some community that work have worked with some shelters and so forth. So just looking for services that are giving back to the community, I think that's a good starting point because a lot of times those facilities don't have a lot of resources. So if you can help them with upgrading their systems, and a lot of times most of them need new systems. So just by taking that off of the plate, They now can take their limited resources to funding their mission. And then ideas, there's a lot of case studies that are on the ASHRAE website and as well as some procedures on how to implement the project and how to select team members and and so forth. So there are a lot of resources that are out there, but I think the first step is to try to identify a project that you want to get engaged in. And then start to work with that center or that facility to understand what the needs are. The key is we have lots of resources that can be used to determine not only what to do, but just designing the facilities.
2: Yeah, and I think there's also projects that I've seen, such as this school in Arkansas, where there was an audit that revealed the school's district could save at least $2.4 million over 20 years. So they retrofitted it, they put out solar panels, updated all of the district's facilities with new lights, heating and cooling systems, and windows, and the school was able to use the savings and energy to put more money in the teachers' pockets, and they were able to increase teachers' pay and create a better environment for their employees and were able to attract better teachers because of that. And just as an example, they generated enough savings in just three years to transform the district's. $250,000 budget deficit into a $1.8 million surplus. And just imagine the scale of that, um, what we could do across the country. And there's been tons of other schools that have been using this as an example and implementing that. And if we just did more work like this, um, we could reach that energy equity goal.
3: And it's about sharing best practices, you know, um, just communicating what we're doing with other members, and that will inspire even bigger programs. Yeah, I love that idea. You know, we talk about
1: ASHRAE and the fact that we have this common goal to make our industry better, right? You know, we're we're working towards improving our standards, our design guidelines, the processes that we use, but this is an opportunity for ASHRAE to really kind of not only help further our industry, but really further our society and, and become really leaders in this space.
2: And I think also I've realized as engineers, we need to be better salespeople. A lot of the times I see building owners and contractors pushing back on certain technologies that are different that they haven't seen before. They don't know how to operate it. And I've seen cases where the engineers were great at explaining and articulating it to where they could understand and it wasn't this scary new thing. And they were able to get it through. And then other situations where the engineer didn't push back and then we just kept, you know, doing what we were doing with less efficient. You know, we're still using natural gas. And if we just did a better job of explaining it to someone who's not of a technical background, I think we could make a lot more progress in that regard. And then uh, as far as ASHRAE, we need to be pushing code development. And, you know, there's several states across the U.S. that don't have any ASHRAE codes in their requirements. And some of them are still back to like 2007. So we need to be making sure that our states are adopting the most recent codes to be pushing this design to be more efficient.
1: We've had some really great conversations about what DEI is, some of the challenges wanting to make ASHRAE more inclusive and how this can relate not only to the work that we do within ASHRAE, but beyond how we can work in the communities to to help bridge the gap in some of the inequities that that exist within our communities. So for the listeners, I guess, what is the call to action? What can ASHRAE members do right now? What are some of the things they can do to help improve on any of those fronts? Carrie-Anne?
2: So I think at the chapter level, we need to be pushing DEI-focused events as a chapter. I've, I've attended several that other chapters have held where the topic was specifically on DEI. They um, relate all of this data that's specifically related to our industry. on, And that's where I learned more about the unconscious biases. And the entire time, it was just light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. Um, so I think if we you know, had more events like that and we're getting our... Our members out to those events, then we could help with that awareness. And then, I also think it's time for ASHRAE to do more research on thermal comfort guidelines because right now it's geared towards men, and about eighty percent of the population is supposed to be comfortable. um, But men and women are both in the spaces, and women are always the ones that are uncomfortable. We're always too cold because the guidelines are all around the clothing and shoes that men wear, and not at all geared towards women. I know every woman in my office keeps a sweater and a blanket in their desk. Um, so if we just were more aware of our building occupants and um, did a better job to make everyone, everyone comfortable.
1: So I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, you talk about uh, chapter programs. And I think one of the things we want to make sure we're talking about being inclusive is that the chapter programs are presented in such a way that it is inclusive. I think one of the issues that we've seen in some chapters when they're, they're hosting DEI programs is it seems to attract all of the people who are already on, on board. You know, you have a women in ASHRAE event and only the women show up. When the people who need to hear it the most, you know, you're, you have a message you want to deliver, they're not there. And so we want to make sure that these are presented in such a way that everyone is able to come. Unfortunately, you know, as as we talked about before, is some people perceive this as a political issue. And so when they hear oh this month's topic is on DEI, they immediately think well I'm not going to go then.
2: I have I've heard of people, you know, just being very conscious of the wording and trying not to just scream DEI, but you know, just have a broad explanation of what the event is to get people in the room and you know, you're welcome to leave at any time if this, you know, really you feel, you know, triggered, but I think it's good to try to make that a broad topic and not just very much, this is DEI or women in Ashray. Like if you make the topic broad, then more people are willing to get in the room. And as long as you get them in the room, they're more willing to listen. And then that's, I think, where you can break down that barrier, that miscommunication barrier of like, I'm being attacked. No, this is just to spread awareness. We're all in this together.
1: Yeah. And, and so we, we know a lot of chapters have DEI or women in Ashray chairs um. So that's great. They can they can do that work to promote that within the chapter. Also, chapters have community outreach chairs who are able to kind of help identify to your point. You know, some of the, the areas where Ashray members can can give of their time and their services and their their materials to help improve their local community.
3: Yeah. So true. And you know, another opportunity is making sure that we you know our chapter leaders are being inclusive as new members come in to the meetings. You know, Ashrays is based on, is a grassroots organization and the strength of our organization is our grassroots. And the only way that we can make sure we have an inclusive society is to make sure that that is infused from the grassroots level. So it's inherent on, on our chapter leadership to promote uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that that can now feed throughout the organizational structure.
0: Ashray Journal Podcast Team is managing editor Mary Kate McGowan, producer and associate editor Chad Jones, Assistant Managing Editor Jerry Alger, and Associate Editors Tony Pilevsky and Rebecca Matasovsky. Copyright Ashray. Views expressed in this podcast are those of individuals only, and not of Ashray, its sponsors, or advertisers. Please refer to ashray.org/podcast for the full disclaimer.